Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this a little early this month as I'm going away to Italy for a week. My guest today is Sasha Black. Sasha writes YA fantasy and also writing guides, which include 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft Superbad Villains. We talk about the craft of writing compelling heroes and villains, as well as discussing Sasha's writing process and her first few days as a full-time author. First off, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. It means so much to me that you are willing to support the show in this way. Thank you to new patrons, Michelle Kruger, Eleanor Steele, and to Maggie Minan for upping your pledge. Thank you. You can support the show from just $1 per month at patreon.com forward slash worried writer. And that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Those who pledge $2 a month or more also get access to the exclusive audio extras. There are 15 now, uh, with a new one going up in the middle of each month. If you aren't willing or able to support the show financially, you can still help me out by sharing the show on social media, telling your writer friends, or by leaving a review or rating on iTunes or your preferred podcast app. I am deeply grateful for every single one of these actions as they help to grow the number of people listening, which will help to keep the podcast healthy. And it boosts my motivation and lets me know that you want the show to carry on. Thank you so much. My writing update for this month is mostly filled with the launch of book two of the Crow Investigation series, The Silver Mark. As I was saying to you before, I'm always a nervous wreck before publication. So right now, I'm very happy and very relieved. Um, The launch is over and it went well. Uh, The Silver Mark hit the hot new releases and the top 10 of several charts on Amazon. And more importantly, it has several glowing reviews, um, which really help with my nerves. I was so thrilled with the reception of The Night Raven, but then also really worried that I was going to let people down. So business as usual, in other words. Now that the launch is over, I can go back to my usual strategy of not reading reviews. Uh, But a few early positive ones really help my confidence. And I've been bowled over by the kindness of my early readers and other folk in my readers club, sending me nice messages and encouragement. It is truly amazing and I'm so grateful. And also, I hope it's of help here to you because if you are sort of hesitating over starting a newsletter or you'll hear things like, um, you know, newsletters aren't effective anymore or everybody is overwhelmed and there's just no point. I mean, I've, I don't have a huge newsletter. I don't have masses of people in my readers club, but I get lovely messages through it and little conversations with people and it just means the world to me. So if that's something that you like the sound of, then, you know, do bear that in mind. On the subject of launching a book, if you like urban fantasy or paranormal mystery, then you might enjoy the Crow Investigation series. And The Silvermark is book two, as I said. Um, I do think that they can also be read as standalones, as each one is a complete story. Here is the blurb for The Silvermark. London is Lydia Crow's city, so when a man is found hanged under Blackfriars Bridge, she takes it personally. 
driven by her desire to improve her fledgling PI skills and an innate sense of justice, Lydia investigates. Even when it seems as if the Silver family might be involved, Lydia refuses to back down. The Silver family, who run the finest law firm in London, have a gift for persuasion. In the bad old days, it was said they could make a man jump off a roof by convincing him he could fly. But that's all in the past, isn't it? Everybody wants something from Lydia. Her Uncle Charlie wants her to join the infamous family business. Her ghostly flatmate wants her to test her power. DCI Fleet wants a relationship. And the Silver family want her to keep her nose out. Trouble is, Lydia has never been much good at taking orders. And London in a heatwave is a dangerous place to be. So that is available in ebook and paperback in all the usual places. I will pop a link in the show notes. Also, it occurred to me that for new listeners, I should probably mention that I have a non-fiction book all about writing mindset called Stop Worrying, Start Writing, How to Overcome Fear, Self-Doubt and Procrastination. And there are links for that in the show notes as well. Stop Worrying, Start Writing is also available in audiobook, read by me. So if you want a bit more of my voice, you can check that out. In other writing news, I went on another writing retreat with an author pal. We hired a cottage on a farm a wee bit north of Fife, and it was great. I'm usually terrible at writing when I've got an upcoming launch, partly because of all the tasks that need to be done, which, you know, just take a lot of time and energy, uh, but also because it's so hard to access that creative space. I lie to myself when I'm writing. I tell myself that it doesn't matter how terrible it is because nobody will ever read it. But when I'm spending hours on pre-publication stuff and marketing, it's much harder to believe that lie. It was so useful to be away from the sort of familiar domestic and office environment and to spend hours and hours of concentrated, uninterrupted time. It's definitely something I'm going to continue to build into my writing life. And if you are considering doing something similar, I heartily recommend it. Before we get to the interview, I just want to say thank you to some lovely folk on Twitter. Last month's interview with BP Walter was a popular one and there were loads of great comments. I can't highlight them all, but I really appreciate them. Heather Critchlow, who is at H underscore Critchlow, said, I'm such a fan of the Worried Writer podcast. This episode is no exception. It's a dose of very kind, reality-based, writerly solidarity that makes all the difference when you're plugging away or having a bad day. Thank you so much, Heather. I'm so glad you enjoyed that interview with Barnaby Walter. Also, thank you to Samantha Tong, author, who is at Sam Tong Writer, um, for recommending the podcast. Thank you, Sam. Ray Cowie, who is at Ray underscore Cowie. And Natalie Yates, who's at East York Nat. As always, thank you so much for listening. And now it's time for the interview section of the show. Sasha Black writes YA fantasy, the Eden East series, and non-fiction for authors. Her writing guides include 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft Superbad Villains, and 10 Steps to Hero, How to Craft a Kick-Ass Protagonist. Sasha is a proud indie author and recently went full-time with her writing. Welcome to the show and congratulations on making the leap to full-time writing. Thank you so much. It's an absolute honour to be here. I'm really, really excited to be on your podcast. Oh, you're so kind. Um, I would love to hear more about making the leap into the full-time writing. Was that a goal that you set for yourself? 
Absolutely. Um, it, I kind of meandered my way to uh, making the decision that I wanted to uh, write full time. Um, I'm not really one of these people um, who was overly self-aware as a child. So it became a goal as I started writing more. But I, I didn't really enjoy my day job. So I worked as a, a project manager in a very corporate, quite conservative environment. And they didn't really allow for much creativity. I mean, they wanted to. They tried really hard. But, you know, you'd come up with these creative ideas and it would be a no, no, no. You know, we can't we can't do that. So about, I would say, probably five or six years ago, I started uh, writing with the intent to publish. Now, I had written prior to that, but that was kind of the, you know, the pivotal turning point where my mindset shifted. Um, and I and I kind of got this obsessive tunnel vision, you know, kind of a single minded, this is what I want to do. I want to do this full time. And, and the more I wrote, the more I wanted it. So yes, yes, it was definitely a goal. <laughs> well, it's fantastic. And um, so you mentioned there about um, sort of the beginnings of your writing. So was it something that you'd always wanted to do? Yeah, I think if I'd been more self-aware, I'd have realised <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, when I look back on my childhood, all of the signs were there. You know, I would carry around notebook and pen and scribble little sentences that I read. I was like, I've written a novel. No, Sasha, you really haven't. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, and, and, and my mum also um, had to move me libraries once I remember, because we were sort of in this local library, which was sort of quite small, but I'd read everything. I mean, literally everything everything and we had to um go to like this larger library so you know when I look back I think actually you know I should have realized that that's what I wanted to do but I was also brought up knowing that I had to get a proper job and I had to you know <clears throat> excuse me I had to you know wear a suit or you know have some kind of a qualification so I went to university and I I I probably should have done creative writing or some or English even um, just because I loved it. And I didn't. I did psychology because I thought, you know, that's a career. Um, you know, it's kind of on the peripheries of medicine, you know, this, that and the other. And then I did a master's and I sort of fell into being um, in my students union as president. And then I got onto a graduate scheme, you know, a fast track management scheme, because that was a proper job. And that's what you do. Mm. Um and it did not take very long for me to realise that that was really not what I wanted to do. <laughs> so I started blogging. I, I kind of just needed like this platform or this place to just vomit out rants about things that annoyed me. Or, you know, writing is so cathartic. So many people say that. And that's exactly, you know, why I sort of came back to writing. But in the blogging world, I kind of came across all these other people who are writing flash fiction and you know you just you do you connect when you when you're a blogger and and then I kind of got out my notebooks and kind of remembered and and I found one of these stories that I'd written when I was nine and and I and that was the story that I always wanted to turn into a novel so I decided to do NaNoWriMo and I took that novel and that was the novel I wrote in my first nano when I was nine. And 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 kind of the rest is history. You know, I, I that was it. Once I got the bug and the habit in nano, it was game over for me. I <laughs> I, I realized very rapidly this is what I wanted to do. Exactly. As you say, the more you write, the more you want to write or the more you get obsessed with it if it's if it's your thing. Uh, so were you sort of doing nonfiction about writing alongside writing fiction or and which did you publish first? Okay, that's a great question. So, um, 
I, I'm one of these super geeky, nerdy people. So no matter what I'm obsessing over, I just, I go to the extreme of geekery when it comes to it. So I um, started this kind of obsessive journey to develop my craft. And the other thing I am is very, very senile. So um, I, I, I literally, if I don't write something down, usually by hand, there is no way I'm going to remember whatever it is I need to remember. So um, what I do is every book I read, I um, and this is sacrilege, so people, please forgive me if you think I'm <laughs> kind of heathen, but I, I have a pencil and little sticky tabs. And every time I see something that I think is well written, whether it's description or dialogue or foreshadowing, um, I'll underline it very lightly in pencil <laughs> and stick a, a sticky tab in. And then when I get to the end of the book, I go back and review all of the um, sentences that I've underlined. I I started out by handwriting them up and then um, I quickly moved into using my blog. And what I would do is I would copy and paste them down and then I would look for patterns and trends. And what I tended to find is that particular authors had um, you know really good skills in in one particular area, whether it be description or um, dialogue and so then I would you know go down to kind of sentence level detail and look at why it was that they did so well and I would write those lessons that I was learning up into blog posts and I did uh, I think uh, it was a post on female villains which just I mean, it didn't go viral, but, you know, I think it, it, it had quite a lot of hits. And so I wrote, I think, three or four more. And collectively, I think they garnered me, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 hits, something like that on my website, which to me at the time, having, you know, not been blogging for that long was just enormous amounts of hits. So I kind of dug a bit further and I looked into whether or not there were kind of books on this and there weren't. So I was like, well, hey, you know, there's obviously a market for this. I'd already started writing up my lessons. Why not do a bit more research and and compile it into a book? So that's what I did. So my 13 Steps to Evil was the first book that I published, which I know some people are like, well, you know, what, what validity do you have? But hey, you know. Well, I think I think teaching creative writing is different. So it's very difficult. I mean, some people, as you say, will will say, well, I'll only ever take a class with someone who is a bestseller in my particular genre. And that's, I'm not criticising that opinion. That's a perfectly valid opinion. But I'm also, as someone who has done a master's in creative writing and been taught by very, very talented writers, not all of them are great lecturers. Not all of them are great tutors. They don't necessarily go hand in hand. So I, yeah. I'm i not sure I completely agree with that, um, with that idea. Uh, no. I, I, you know, I completely agree. And that's why I wrote it, you know, because I'd learned these lessons. And I think, you know, um, one of the things that I was really keen to do, because I was also reading a lot of um, writing craft books at the time, um, was create something that wasn't dry, because so many of these writing craft books, you know, forgive me, they are incredible fountains of of knowledge, but they're also so dry. Um, you know, and I am, you know, a very sweary, very sarcastic author. Um, I'm on my best behavior today, by the way. But, <laughs> oh, um, me too, me too. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I just, I wrote in my voice. And, um, you know, so my my writing craft book is sar- sarcastic and it is sweary. And it, but people like that. Well, actually, that's not true. People either love it or they hate it. And that's fine. But, you know, I kind of I, I had a goal of making writing sarky and fun and, and, and not dry. Um, and and I think actually 
not necessarily having those years and years and eons of knowledge enables you to craft nonfiction in a way that's slightly innovative, I suppose. And another thing you said there about your voice and writing it in your voice, I think that's so key. And again, it comes down to the teaching thing. When I said that some of the lecturers maybe weren't so good, they weren't good for me. And what matters is your teacher is right for you. And that's why, you know, one writing craft book or business book or whatever it is will speak to a particular reader and it makes it the perfect match so if you don't write your your blog post or your teaching book or or record your podcast then those readers out there who would respond to your voice don't get a chance and um so I'm aware that we've sort of gone a wee bit into the whole non-fiction antagonist we've used the word antagonist and I love a good antagonist um so I was instantly drawn to that title but thinking in terms of protagonist and antagonist doesn't always come naturally to everyone so I thought before we go any further we should maybe just have some basic definitions yep absolutely so um I I kind of think and talk about villains and antagonists as being on a, a on a continuum um so a villain is somebody or a character who is inherently evil. And by evil, I mean, perhaps they perpetrate acts of um, violence. They might, um, you know, murder lots of people. They, um, you know, their mindset is very um, dark. An antagonist, um, the, 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 the similarities with the antagonist is that an antagonist gets in the way of the hero. So they are a blocker or an obstacle. They they want to prevent the hero from um, achieving his or her goal, um, but they aren't necessarily evil at the core. So a good example of this would be um, Harry Potter. You have Lord Voldemort, who is a villain. He is evil. <laughs> he he, you know, he kills people freely. Um, and the that one of the, I mean, there are many antagonists in Harry Potter, but one of the most obvious ones would be Draco Malfoy. You know, he's just, um, you know, he, he does step in the way of Harry a lot, but at his core, he's just a bit of a weak coward. He's not necessarily evil and violent. Um, and so with a protagonist and a hero, the protagonist is typically who the story is about. And a hero is somebody who will have, you know, magical powers, or they would be Superman, somebody who tends to have, you know, unnatural amounts of strength or, or skill or power. Um, okay, so um, what makes a good antagonist? Another great question. So, Oh, so many things, so many <laughs> things. Um, I will try and and summarize. I think you know, I could be here all day because I just I love it and I obsess about it. But um, I think I think one of the most common mistakes uh, with with villains or antagonists is not having a sound motive. Uh, we all do things for a reason, even villains. Um, and I know that somebody's going to come and argue. Well you know, look at a psychopath, they don't necessarily have um, uh, uh, reasons or justifications for doing things. And okay, sure, sometimes that is the case. But, you know, that's the difference between writing truth and writing fiction. We we are writing fiction, we are not writing truth. And in order to convey fiction effectively and make your characters believable, you you do need to have reasons and justifications for your characters doing things. So I know from my own experience that sometimes I get stuck in my story because I haven't thought through my antagonist and their goals or their point of view properly. Um, 
Is that something that you've um, you've found? Yeah, I think so. And 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 the thing that I always come back to is is making sure you have the why behind their behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, as this is a bit from my psychology background, but as children, we we build these things called heuristics in our brain, um, and they're kind of a set of rules by which we categorise things. So a square, whether it's you know, as a child, you learn that a square, whether it's big or small or red or blue or or patterned, is still a square. And one of the things that we learn about people is that, you know, 99.9% of the time, uh, people do things for a reason, which is why um, to make your villain believable, you have to come back to them having a why and a justification and a motive for doing something. Um, And even more than that is having a cause or a driver behind the motive. And this is probably one of the the key tips is to go further than just saying why your character is doing something. Uh, For me, I try to link my villain's behavior to something that happened in their past. So we always talk about heroes and how they have a wound that creates the flaw, but actually your villain ought to have the same thing. You know, they are perpetrating things that are um, bad or they're doing you know these negative actions that are getting in the way of the hero and and why is that go you know create a motive and then go back into their past you know I'm not saying that you have to have reams of background you know and information dumps in your story but you knowing why your villain is um or your antagonist is is doing something will help you naturally um convey more believability and depth in in your villain and and the last thing that i do is um that i try to connect that flaw or wound in your villain to the theme um your hero obviously embodies the theme itself and your villain should embody the anti theme so the opposing kind of force to whatever your theme may be and i try to derive um, you know, something that happened in their past that is, you know, connected to that. So say if your if your um if your theme is sacrifice, perhaps your villain failed to sacrifice something, you know, back in their past and perhaps they lost somebody that was really important to them. And that then would be the why and the driving cause behind um, you know, the motive for why they're behaving the way they are now. Is that um... absolutely so? Um, developing your hero and your antagonist kind of in tandem is a good idea, then, so that you can absolutely. And I and I talk about this um, in I think it's my heroes book, but um, I I actually try to develop all of the characters in tandem. And I know that's like really overwhelming and it sounds ridiculous, but but bear with me. So you know, often we just concentrate on the hero. Um, but if you're a smart author, you will um, look at the hero and the villain as kind of a yin and yang with each other. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you can take that one step further and look at how all of the characters are an embodiment of your theme. So a good example of that would be uh, The Hunger Games. So Katniss embodies the theme of sacrifice. You know, she constantly sacrifices herself for others. The villain president snow embodies the anti-theme in that he constantly sacrifices other people for his own benefit but when you look deeper at the story and you look at the other characters they are all reflections on that theme so rue for example is a good good um, portrayal of this in that she um 
she is also a tribute for those who don't know um, what the Hunger Games is. It's essentially a dystopian novel where lots of um, these children have to go and fight each other to the death. Um, and Rue is one of these children fighting against uh, Katniss. And instead of, you know, fighting and killing Katniss, which because she has the opportunity to, she decides to save Katniss by telling her, I can't remember, I think there's bees or something. Um you know that are going to attack her so rue in herself makes a sacrifice and 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 is a reflection of that theme in a different way and all of your characters should do that they kind of mesh together um you know on different representations of the theme does that make sense absolutely and while we're on heroes a wee bit what do you think makes a really good hero is that linked to the the wound thing that you mentioned absolutely so i i my favorite types of heroes are heroes who aren't perfect i think heroes who are perfect are boring and i think your readers are going to think that they're boring as well so you know i, I think the best kind of heroes are the messy dirty ones who make bad choices and poor decisions but they learn from them um and so for me you know having a character having a hero who who does have a bit of a you know a moral grayness to them i think builds depth because it makes them more of a reflection of humanity you know we are not perfect beings and and i think when you when you can kind of embody that in your hero it makes your reader connect much more and on a much deeper level um to your hero because they can see parts of themselves in your in your characters Mm, absolutely and um, seeing them struggle as well isn't it and I as something that I I find I'm hopefully getting better at it but I know when I first started I found it quite difficult to be mean enough to my main yeah. character because I liked them <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> or I wanted yeah. them to make the right choices because I knew they were a good person and I liked yeah. them but as you say um, making sure that they do fail making sure that they don't always make the right decisions is is super important and something else you said about the kind of yin yang thing reminded me that one of my favorite antagonists is a kind of doppelganger antagonist where they they start out very very similar to the hero and then you see them make different choices absolutely i think i think you you can always um see the difference between a hero and a villain when they are forced to make a choice in a difficult mm. situation because the hero will make the right choice for the right reasons or you know okay sometimes they make the wrong choice but for the right reasons but that's more you know going into sort of the anti-hero realm mm. but the villain will more often than not make the wrong choice or um you know, they'll make the wrong choice for what they deem to be the right reason. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and this is what I'm talking about, but you know, about that moral kind of grayness. Um, and actually, sometimes, you know, in the villain's mind, they're making it for the right reason, which means morally, they are on the right side of the line in their eyes. <laughs> mm. Do you develop your characters before you start writing? Um, or do you just dive in and then get to know them as you write? So I am still, so my, my writing process is still in fluctuation and kind of going through this process of change. I, I, before, you know, when I wrote my first book, I was very much a plotter, but but what happened was I plotted for an entire year before I even wrote a word. Oh, and I was like, what am I doing? You know, I'm not going to get, a, it's going to take me 20 years to write this book unless I get on with it. So, um, I am, I am, I am moving away from that. And I am actually now trying to write 
completely as a pantser. I, I, I'm not, I haven't quite found the right balance yet, but I think I am probably going to end up more, you know, on that continuum more towards the pantser side than I am the plotter side. Um, I quite like to let the characters develop on the page because if I don't, they're just going to do what they want anyway. <laughs> um, you know, I, I spent all of this time kind of, do, you know, doing character interviews and development. And actually, they never ended up anything like what I thought they were going to end up anyway. And I think this is, you know, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, yeah, you know, I don't know whether it was a, a newbie mistake or, or, you know, I was just delusional about what my process really was. But um, I stopped trying to control my characters and we all get along much better now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I think it is just, a, as you say, it's a case of just learning what your own process is. And you, you, yeah. you don't know that without doing it and trying things so that makes a lot of sense and um because this is the worried writer I do like to ask about blocks and things so do you have any tips for writers who are maybe trying to come up with a really good antagonist or they're trying to round out their characters either while they're writing or in the sort of planning stage do you have any methods that you would offer people to kind of get unblocked on that yeah, absolutely. A few, actually. Um, so the, the first thing to say is to just stop what you're doing and write something completely different. So I, I play this game with some of my friends and we call it the one word game or the one sentence game. And somebody will, you know, pluck a random word out of thin air or out of the dictionary or out of something they're reading. And we will just write a sentence um, or a paragraph. Or sometimes we end up writing a whole page. It really just depends. And, and you know, the, the 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 point of that is to just get you writing because so often the answers to block come when you are not you know brow furrowing and concentrating on trying to find the answer but when you're in the shower or if you're me when you're driving and have no pen um, <laughs> all of the time that happens um so so uh, that would be the first one to say you know write some flash fiction you know something that doesn't have to be part of your story or or whatever the the second thing would be to take your character out of your story and put them in a high stress situation and just write, you know, completely out of context, put them in a different story or a different situation, um, you know, because people uh, as a whole tend to show their truest self when they are under high stress or high pressure. So so that's something that I quite like to do. Um, another thing would to do would be to either add in an obstacle or throw in some conflict. Now, for me, conflict comes at kind of three levels. So you have a macro conflict, which is, you know, usually kind of in dystopian, it's like wars, it's world battles or societal issues. You have micro conflict, which is between characters. That's often the best unblocker for me is to put kind of a, you know, an argument or a problem between two of the characters, because that uh, will lead you to, um, you know, generating more plot. And then you kind of have inner conflict. And this is one of my favorites. Um, so inner conflict is where your characters have emotional battles. So a good example of this would be Ned Stark from Game of Thrones. So and actually George R.R. R. Martin generally does a lot of this. But Ned Stark has kind of two personal values. The first one is that he values wisdom. And the second one is that he values loyalty. And he is very, very loyal to the king who asks him to go and, and work for him um, you know, in the palace. But Ned's wisdom leads him to realize that he's probably 
going to die if he does that? And, um, you know, that puts his two most, you know, valued um, values <laughs> um, against each other. You know, it, you know, what does he go with? Does he go with his wisdom or his his loyalty? And And that butts up against each other and gives him this inner conflict that he has to kind of turmoil over. And and that will also usually un- unblock for me or or if it doesn't necessarily unblock me it will unblock the characters who will then tell me what I need to write <laughs> <laughs> well that's excellent while we're on the subject actually we've been talking about um quite big stories with with real villains in there you know obviously examples Game of Thrones and the Hunger Games um, but something that I know um sometimes people ask me is what to do if you're writing say a nice a, you know a romance or a, a quieter story that doesn't have you know a serial killer as the villain um i mean i i'm aware that you still have often you know you still need an antagonist um are there things in your book about crafting your super bad villains that are ap- applicable to people who are trying to write those um you know maybe quieter or non-crime driven stories Absolutely. Um, so, you know, talking about that kind of inner conflict, that's often what you see in romance stories. So you'll see a character, you know, conflicted against, you know, what they think they should do versus what their heart wants them to do. Um, and, um, you know, I talk about that kind of turmoil and how to create that conflict. Um, and, and that kind of tries to span, it is genreless almost. Um, and I also, one of my favorite topics in there, um, is around mental health because um, so often villains are um, given a mental health or, or even an, an antagonist uh, and it's the reason why they're doing their thing that they're doing mm. and actually you know that just creates stigma it creates discrimination and it's just wrong mental health does not uh, cause you to behave badly you being a bad person causes you to behave badly <laughs> you know so, so um there's that chapter as well which um spans genres there's also a chapter on cliches um and cliches tend to span genres um so yes i have tried to uh make my book as genreless as possible mm. um, and I have got examples from kind of lots and lots of different uh, genres as well and I think I think it is the villains book I, I can't remember if it's the villains or heroes but I also have a book on endings and um, I talk about you know which endings most suit which genre um, and there's yeah so yes yes in answer <laughs> yes yes there is <laughs> that's brilliant because I know that it, sometimes it can be a wee bit trickier to get yeah. a handle on conflict or as I say villains or antagonists when you are writing those kinds of stories um, mm. so that's fantastic now I wanted to move on a wee bit to just your sort of your writing process and so on and your your headspace and time management particularly since now you have gone full-time which is great and um, so you're writing and publishing in two separate genres and um, and that of course requires lots of different tasks and I just wondered how do you balance the various parts of your professional life both in yeah. terms of the headspace and the time management really badly <laughs> <laughs> um so it's hard for me to answer how I am going to be doing that because I am, you know, I'm really literally only in my first week of being um, full, fully self-employed. So, it, I mean, how did I manage it before when I was working full time? And, and you know, so I have a five-year-old and, you know, I have a wife and a house 
and it really badly. I was essentially working two full-time jobs and it's not healthy. It's not clever. Um, it just, you know, I, I ended up suffering from burnout all of the time. I had really bad imposter syndrome all of the time, really bad doubt, you know, because of course all of these things derive from being exhausted and, you know, not treating yourself very kindly, not giving yourself any self-care. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that I did was to sacri- make lots of sacrifices. So I gave up TV about four years ago, I think. And, you know, I will binge watch something on Netflix once I've finished a project or once I've hit a goal. But, you know, of an evening, I wasn't watching TV anymore. And you would be surprised quite how much you're capable of achieving if you don't watch TV. Um, You know, I kind of gained four hours every evening. People like to say they don't watch TV. Trust me, you are watching TV. Um, So. Um, I gave that up you know I, I I kind of withdrew a bit from my social circles so I you know I would go out less so that I had more time to write I would get up early sometimes I would also some of the things that I did was you know I would write on my lunch break or I would do marketing and admin on my lunch break at work and you know when I was walking down cor- corridors at work I would write a sentence or two on my phone you know I had you know like Dropbox and iCloud and things sync up so that everything was accessible everywhere um you know and I, you'd be surprised some some days I could go home with a thousand words just because people were late to meetings or you know I had to walk a bit further for for a meeting um you know, so I say badly, uh, but, you know, I was just acutely aware of how I spent my time. And I tried to maximize every single opportunity to write or do marketing that I possibly could. That's brilliant advice. And I think that's possible, partly because you're clearly, I hope you don't mind me saying a driven and obsessive person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but also, do you think it's key to know why you're doing it or to have a goal or something, perhaps? Because that's, that's very full on. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and I, I don't really advocate that other people do what I did, because, you know, I, I did suffer some really quite intense burnouts. And, um, you know, that is just inefficient, because it, you know, it stops you from working, essentially. Do you have plans now for now that you are full time? I know it's too soon to say what it's going to look like, for sure. Um, we'll check in <laughs> next year, yeah. find out. Um, <laughs> but do you have any plan? You know, you mentioned the importance of self care there. And how mm. if you are burned out and tired, then things like procrastination and imposter syndrome and self doubt, mm. you know, get up much harder to deal with they get bigger don't they mm-hmm. um, as you said so do you have some plans for making sure that you have uh, boundaries or self-care or anything like that yeah so um a couple of things that I'm trying to do is make sure uh, so I also do some freelance work so whilst I am writing sort of 50% of my time I'm also whilst I'm transitioning um and kind of building or you know my sales and my own courses and things I'm still doing some freelance work so I'm trying to time block so that I have you know calls or conference calls or you know um work freelance work related things on particular days and then I have you know great swathes of time on other days so that I can do deep work um and actually there's a book called The Deep Work by Cal Newport. If anybody hasn't read it, it's fantastic and really helped me to kind of look at my strategy for time management um, and and set quite clear goals as well. So I do um, like a monthly, these are my goals for this month. And then I do a weekly, I kind of draw out the ones that I want to do in week one, week two, week three, week four. And then I do a daily list. So from that weekly list, I then turn it into um, a daily list. And then other things like 
I one of the things I also gave up was exercise, which was very bad because I have gained quite a bit of weight. But um, I'm going back to exercise, Mm -hmm. uh, which I will do in the evenings. Now I have time. One of the things I would like to do is meditate. But, you know, I I, I just I'm so early. I still kind of need to see how I um, can do things. But one of the other things also is I have a Fitbit and that shouts at me when I don't get up and move. So that's quite handy for me. It, you know, it tells me I have to move every hour and I have a lovely woods just outside my house. So there will be some walks in my future. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, there's some good tips in there. Um, but yes, I wish you luck. And I think, um, as we were saying before we hit record, I think we're very, very similar. I also love deep work and recommend it. And um, yes, we were talking about our planners and bullet journaling and lists. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, you're definitely not the only one. And I'm very happy that I'm not the only one too. Yeah. <laughs> so just to finish up, what are you working on at the moment? Or what's next for you? So three, I I kind of have three um, key goals that I want to achieve. The first one is to finish the third book in my fantasy series, my young adult fantasy series, which is about a third done at 46,000 words. So it's going to be a bit of a whopper, I think. Um, The second one is to write my next nonfiction book, which I kind of alluded to earlier. um, And I don't quite have the pitch down yet, but it's something along the lines of the anatomy of prose. So I'm not looking at grammar, but I'm looking at, you know, those detailed down to sentence level word choice. How do you convey emotion or how do you, um, you know, enhance your dialogue or how can you use juxtapositions to foreshadow or whatever, whatever. So it, it's kind of, yeah, a, a massive, it's like my piece de resistance of geek. Um, and then the last one is I am developing some uh, mini writing courses. So writing craft courses as opposed to marketing at the moment. Um, and and yes, so th- those are kind of the three things in my future. Fantastic. Well, that all sounds amazing. Um, so where can we find out more about you and your books? So I have a website, which is www.sashablack.co.uk. And that is Sasha with a C. So S-A-C-H-A. And you can find my blog, um, which will have a lot more content on it now. Um, I sort of had to pause that for a little while, but I am coming back to that now. Um, Also, I am most frequently on Instagram and my handle is at Sasha Black Author. Um, But you can find me um, on Facebook. Twitter, I think is Sasha underscore black but I am pretty much everywhere please come and say hi I don't bite unless it's Tuesday so (laughs) (laughs) fantastic well I will put all the links in the show notes but that was fantastic it was so lovely to speak to you thank you so much for having me I had a blast thanks for listening today for show notes and links head to worriedwriter.com if you'd like to connect find me on twitter at sarah r painter or use the hashtag WorriedWriter. See you next time.